Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Let's just get started this morning, all right? Seven days ago, so last Sunday morning, Saturday night, whatever you want to call it, I stood in my driveway at like 2.45 in the morning, and I watched Pastor Chris leave with my wife and several other uh, ladies here from the church as they headed out to go to a wilderness leadership intensive from Mountain Gateway. Tearful. I've been living the, somebody asked me if I've been enjoying the bachelor life, and I'm like, no, because I'm living the Mr. Mom life is what I've been living, so... Uh, nothing bachelor about it. Uh, miss my wife. She's amazing. And to all you moms out there, you're just awesome. And to all you dads out there that stay home with your kids too and hang it, you're awesome as well. Cause I'm like, Jesus. Okay. All right. And I've got one more week of it. They don't come back until next Friday. So, um, but let's remember to keep them in prayer. And uh, this is the same trip that myself, Wes, uh, Pastor Chris, Pastor Quentin, Kurt, Steve, Adrian, Dave, Doug, Phil, who am I forgetting? Help me, Wes. I know, I think I got them all. All right, so we went and did this trip last year. This is the one where we stood before you guys and shared. So uh, it was time for some of the ladies to go, and so we've just been believing for God to do some great uh, great and incredible things in them. So just be uh, prayer, safe travels as they get back. But on that note, I realized this coming week, preparing for this message today, that, you know, I stood, as I stood in my driveway and I waved them off, I realized that just 365 days prior, the morning that they left was the morning that we got back. We got back and then we came and the next day we stood in this room and we shared our hearts with you guys, what God had spoken to us, had dealt with each one of us individually about on the mountain. And the interesting thing was I thought about this, that actually the day that we left, we left on a Monday. And so the Sunday before that, I had actually preached that morning. I had preached in here on a subject of um, called position of the heart. And so it was a reminder to us, that message was a reminder to us that the proper positioning of your heart will continue to solidify and strengthen your God-given identity and your God-given destiny. Because If our hearts don't stay positioned toward the Lord, our perception, our motives, our actions will begin to move in the wrong direction, and we can once again find ourselves in a crisis of identity. Now, these were truths that were aligning with the series that Pastor Quentin had just completed. Anybody want to take a guess what that series was about? Identity. Look, that's awesome. Some of you guys are already going to start preaching my sermon this morning. Okay. Our God-given identity. All right. Now, the day after we got back from WLI, as I said before, we came here, we stood in front of you guys, and we shared our hearts. All right. And um, I was, again, at this podium, and I shared with my fellow brothers and sister of the trail. I spoke on what God had done in me and what he had shown me while on the trail. And what it boiled down to was essentially trusting in God to be with you wherever you go but that you actually have to go. Amen? So here we are, a year on from that time. A year on, and I'm asking myself, a year on from these times, what have I really done to advance these truths in my heart? Let's pray real quick. 
before we go any further. Lord, I thank you for this time of worship today that we just experienced. God, thank you that um, we don't just come and experience feelings, but Lord, we come and we experience you. Lord, we're here and we have met with you. We have praised you, God. I ask, Lord, that we would become more aware of your presence, that we would remember that line when we sing it, that we wouldn't just mindlessly repeat it in song, but that we would take it in, God, that we would become more aware. Lord, as you dwell among us, God, that just our awareness of you would be even stronger because, God, where you are is where we want to be. And so, Lord, I ask today that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word, to all that you want to speak to us, and that you would change us today and make us more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. All right. Now, just ask the question, what have I really done a year on to advance these truths and not only those truths in my heart? But before we dive into that, let's go back to that question and answer section. You guys did such a good job a second ago, so let's get a little interactive for the next few minutes, all right? Now, I'm going to read some statements, okay? I'm going to read some statements to you, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you if these statements are something that PQ has shared from this podium within the last year, or is it someone else? PQ sharing from this pulpit or otherwise, okay? So here's the first one. When Christ redeemed us, he did more than save us from our sins. He also purchased our physical healing, emotional healing, and deliverance from all demonic influence. Was that here or otherwise? Good job, good job. That was PQ from Healing, part three. From the message Healing, part three. All right, the second one. Let's try another one. We cannot afford to continue to ignore the sizable gap between what God has given us access to and what we are actually walking in. Was it spoken here or some other one? Good job. Pastor Quentin, that was from the message All Things, okay? Next one. You guys are doing great. Let's just keep going. When we respond in the way of seeking to understand instead of reacting out of our fears and offense, let me say that again. When we respond in the way of seeking to understand instead of reacting out of our fears and offense, we create space for the other person to be heard, which in turn begins to break down our defensive walls that come up in the midst of conflict. Was that PQ? No, but it was spoken here from this pulpit. Trick question. That was Candace and Josiah Carl from the message, The Art of Connection. All right, I'd throw a trick question in there. Just keep you guys guessing, all right? All right, let's do another one. It's all right. Don't let it shake you. Don't let it shake you. We'll keep going. All right. When the train goes through a tunnel and the world gets dark, do you jump out? Of course not. You sit still and trust the engineer to get you through. Was that PQ? No. But it was spoken here in this podium. That's actually Corey Ten Boom. All right? So technically, if you said yes and you were kind of afraid to say it, you were actually right. Because it was spoken here in this pulpit. It just wasn't Pastor Quentin. It was a quote from Corey Ten Boom. And that is from the message, How to Handle Disappointment. All right, here's the next one. The reason why more of us aren't living emotionally healthy and spiritually rich lives is because we can't strike the balance between busyness and inactivity. Was it PQ? Great job. Yes, from the message, Intentional Living, part four. All right, next. People may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. PQ? It's still true, 
but it wasn't PQ. That's actually John Maxwell, and that was not spoken here at this pulpit. All right, okay. Just making sure we got to throw some inspirational quotes out at you guys as well. I'll keep you guessing. All right, here we go. Jesus navigated every distraction with the utmost character and grace all the while, never faltering in his purpose. Was it PQ? Yes. All right, good. Come on, come on. Be, be firm. Be, step out in faith. It's all right. Even if you're wrong, do it in faith. All right. Yes, that was from the message, how to handle distractions. All right, a couple more. You guys are doing great. Doing great. All right. When we don't intentionally take the time to celebrate one another, celebrate one another's uniquenesses, we promote a culture of comparison in our families. That Pastor Quentin? Yes, it was from the message in this house. All right. A couple more. Just a couple more. I'm serious. Let you guys' brain just jog this morning, all right? Never be too proud to get down on your knees and pray. Was that Pastor Quentin? No. But is that true? All right, that is a quote from Bear Bryant. I did that to honor our pastor this morning, even though he's not here. Legendary coach of the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. All right. That was recorded, by the way. That's, gonna, that's, that's captured forever. I said that. All right. Somewhere, somewhere, some LSU guy just, like, felt that. I just said that. I'm sorry. Anyway, let's get back to the truth, though. Never be too proud to get down on your knees and pray. All right. Here's the last one. Babyhood is a delightful thing. Perpetual babyhood is deplorable. The perpetual spiritual infant is an embarrassment to God. God wants us rich in spiritual things. Unless we are grown up in Christ, we will be a liability, childish and petty, wanting attention all the time and wanting to be amused. Was that PQ? Yes, it was, but technically it was a Leonard Ravenhill quote, and that was from last weekend's message by this time. All right, give yourselves a hand. Come on, round of applause. You did great. Good job. All right. If you feel, there's no prizes given this morning, but if you feel you really beast-moded this quiz, just treat yourself to a little something extra today at lunch. All right? You have my permission. All right. Now, there you go. There you go. And if you didn't do good, do, that's right. See, if you didn't do good, do it anyway. All right. All right. So in any case, all right, I wanted to give us all a little bit of a sample, guys. This is what, just a small sample of some things that God has spoken to us through willing vessels over the last 365 days. I'd say PQ has gotten the heart of God, and he shared some amazing truths with us. And I can say that because he's not here, and I know it's the truth. Never take for granted the man of God that God has blessed us with. And he would hate that I'm saying that, but what I, what I mean is that, and he would know that it's not about him. There's a man who truly gets the heart of God and wants to make sure that this family is being shared the whole counsel of God and the truths of what God wants to declare to us. Amen? Yeah, amen. And I'd say we would. I'd say we have been. Through him, through others, I'd say the point is, now I don't want to show hands, okay? But I know we all recognize that we have been given great truth, okay? Um, The point is, and I just want us to think about it personally, okay? We don't have to raise our hands. But how many of us remembered 75% or half or even 25% of those sermons I just mentioned in their spiritual content. Over 365 days, how many of us in the eight that I just mentioned, the eight sermons that I mentioned, how many of us even remembered 75% of that, 50%, or even 25% of those sermon titles and what their messages constitute? From this past year, as I just said, we've had strong, solid teaching 
and preaching regarding what God has to say about, just to name a few, healing, dealing with disappointments, raising our families, strengthening communication with our spouses, family and our friends, setting priorities and time management, walking through trials, hearing the voice of God. I think we'd all agree we've covered a lot of ground. And there have been all sorts of statistics thrown out, you know, because I just said how many of you guys retain 75%, 50%. There have been all kinds of things thrown out over the years about, you know, you, you retain more when you read it and do it, or you retain more when you hear it and do it. And people have tried to debunk all of those things. But the point that I really just want to cut through this morning and start off with is what you don't repeat, you don't retain. What you don't, when it comes to learning, when it comes to learning and taking something inside to learn it, to grow in it, and to become mature in that knowledge about it, what you don't repeat, you don't retain. You know, I find myself many times, I'm, I'm held back by my own inconsistency. I, you know, I learn amazing things in God's presence. Yet, a lot of times, I'll let time pass, and I don't always consistently engage those things that God shows me in my daily life. And then if I need to implement them, sometimes it can take time to recall, rather than just being something that should be natural, because God has given it to me and wants it to be in part of my life. I mean, how many of us, how, how many of us have we been there before? You know, we can remember that we've been shown things that aid us in our walk with him, but when the heat gets turned up, we see that rather than keeping that knowledge fresh, we may be unknowingly or knowingly put it on the shelf, and instead of keeping it fresh, we let it get cold. It never ceases to amaze me how well God knows his own creation. <laughs> Amen? He knows us full well. You know, the title of PQ's message last week, as I said before, was By This Time. And it came from a verse in Hebrews chapter 5, which we actually didn't cover in uh, all the verses that were shared last week. So I want to go ahead and share it with you this morning. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this verse of scripture out of Hebrews, this is being given to not newborn believers, Okay? So when I read this here, I want you to keep in mind who the audience, who this was intended for. This was not someone or a group of people that had just come to the Lord, all right? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. And that's where the title of the message came from because in another translation it says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. The writer of Hebrews, think about it, actually has things that he wants to share from the heart of God to these believers, but he cannot. He's inhibited because they've not advanced in their maturity, even saying that they've become dull and they aren't listening. So we can see that even believers who have accepted God and are walking in him can follow and fall into this form or to this habit of getting to a place where things that they knew, they can become dull to it, Right? We're not immune to it. It's something that happens. It, it continues to go on Scripture. There's other passages that talk about it as well. I'm going to read a couple. first one is out of Galatians chapter 5. It says, But we who live by the Spirit 
eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who's held you back from following the truth? You hear that? Listen to what the writer of Galatians, Paul, is saying to the Galatian church. You were running the race so well. Who hindered you from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. Before we keep going, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard. Work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will always remind you. Another translation says, therefore, I stir you up by way of reminder. Let me stir you up by way of reminder about these things. Even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth, you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you. As long as I live. So let's look at those two passages, what's going on really quickly. So in Galatians, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. And then obviously in 2 Peter, this is Peter writing to believers as well. Paul and Peter and other writers of the New Testament were literally helping start ground zero of the church. You understand that? The New Testament that is in our Bibles... Those letters and those epistles and all of those things that make up the New Testament, those letters that were written by the apostles that were inspired by the Lord and were sent out, that was literally God helping establish the church that he wanted to set up in this world that is still going to this day. What we, what we have in our hands, what we hold in our hands, just, just think about that. When those letters are being written, they didn't have them. We've, we've had them for hundreds of years. We've had these scriptures to hold in our hands. But they were literally being written and being set up right then and there. And even then, they knew the propensity that we would have to need to be stirred up and need to be reminded There was a new covenant that was being made. It was built on the old covenant, but what it was taking the place of was all of these rules with no relationship with the God of heaven. That's what Jesus came to reestablish. A new covenant I give to you. That's why he says in Galatians, he says, look, it's not about being circumcised or being uncircumcised. These things were set up and they were there for thousands of years and they, were, they spoke of what I would do, but now I'm coming to tell you and I have come and I've gone back to heaven and now the church is being established and now Paul is telling you that it's not about following this ritual or this ritual. That is not what saves you. That is not what makes righteousness in your life. It is accepting me and walking out the righteousness show it to your fellow man in love. Amen? Yeah, that's truth. That's God's word. That's good. But the very next thing that he says is you were running the race so well. So he's giving them instruction. He's giving them, and then all of a sudden he comes from left field. He goes, man, you were running the race so well. Who hindered you? The reason that this letter was being written was that Paul knew, Peter knew, that what was being set up was going to be come against because obviously the devil is not going to let Christ's work in, you know, progress unimpeded, right? So he knew that there were going to be people. There were going to be people that were going to try and come and discredit what was being said. And there were already, by this time, there were already people that had come and had turned the heads of certain believers in Galatia. That's why Paul was saying it. You were running so well. You were taking this knowledge and you were applying it into your life. And now all of a sudden you're not running this race so well anymore. What has hindered you? 
In other words, have you been repeating this? Have you been retaining this? Because if you were retaining this, then you wouldn't be struggling in your run right now. And then let's go to 2 Peter. Peter goes, he even knows. Look, I see all that is going on. And dear brothers and sisters, look, you know that you've been called, you've been chosen, and I know you've been walking in these things. I want you to keep on doing these things. But let me continue to stir you up. Why? Because after a while, things that have been stirred up, if they're not continually stirred up, what happens? They begin to what? Settle. God doesn't want us settled. God wants us moving. He wants us stirred up for him. And Peter was like, look, I know you're doing these things. Whether you're rocking it, whether you are killing the game right now, or whether you're struggling like the church in Galatia, I'm going to stir you up until the day that I die. Because I want you to continue to walk in what God has given to me. I want us all to walk as those that he has called and he has chosen and that he has accepted and we have accepted him. And he's imparted things to us and he wants us to do things. Stir it up, man. Don't let it settle. Amen? He literally had given them. Do you understand that the instruction manual was literally being handwritten and given to them? Think about that. That is so cool. Not only does God want to guide us, but I mean, they were literally being hand-delivered the instruction manual from God, and it still guides us to this day. God wants us to walk in wisdom, and he wants us to grow just like the believers of the early church. That's what he wants for us today. God also said in his word that if we lack wisdom for anything, says it in the book of James, if we lack wisdom in anything, we have but to ask, and it's ours. But the expectation is to do it in his way. And that when we get it, we do something with that knowledge. You know, E talked this morning as we were closing worship about asking God for more. And she's 100% right. There is always more. There is always more that God can give us. That's the power of our God. Amen. But I was reminded very quickly years ago of a word that someone spoke over me and basically said the inherent danger they, uh, they related it in a word picture to a sponge, okay? Now, look, there is always more water that can be poured into a bucket when you're washing a car, right? But there is only so much water that a sponge can absorb before what? It can take on no more. And then if that water is not utilized and left, then what happens to that sponge? It will dry rot, God wants us to be immersed. He wants us to ask for more, but he wants us to do something with what he gives us, okay? It's not just up to us to take it in and ask God for more, take it in and ask God for more, but to take what he gives us and then to do something with it. The expectation, again, is that we do something and that we don't just let it be, oh, this is an additional resource that I have that when I need it, I pull it out and I dust it off and refresh my memory, No, what God gives us has to be in there, in there, from repetition, from going daily, God, I want to seek you. Daily, God, I'm taking it in, that whenever I need it, I can recall it instantly. Not, oh, let me pull it out. Oh, man, oh, I got that in the back. Oh, I know exactly where to go. Chapter, let me dust it off. Oh, man, it's been a while. And refresh my memory. That's not what God wants. He wants us there, right at the moment, because that's how God is. The minute we ask for wisdom, he's there. Could you imagine if we're like, God, I need wisdom. Oh, man, I, what, what's the situation you need wisdom on? Hang on a second. I got a manual for that. It's been a few years since I've asked on that one. Okay. You know what I'm saying? God doesn't do that to us, and he doesn't want us to do that with what he's given us. He's given us the ability to have his plans, 
his purposes, his methods, his way, ready and available to us. Listen, guys, we have the ability to not walk in childish ignorance, and I don't mean like ignorance is in stupidity, but literally being ignorant of the knowledge of something, okay? We have the ability to not walk in childish ignorance, but in mature understanding. It's up to us to do just that, to walk it out consistently and let it take hold in our lives for us to learn the instruction manual. It's up to us to take it in and to learn from it, and as we make the decision to do that, when we do, God meets us there, and he increases wisdom, he increases strength, and all that is him inside of us. I mean, why wouldn't we want this, right? Why wouldn't we want this? So this goes back to last week's message again about why more people don't reach higher levels of spiritual maturity. Some of the uh, questions that Pastor Quentin asked us were, are we willing to be teachable? Are we willing to be correctable as we mature? Look, whenever we take in knowledge, whenever we try to do those things, we're not going to always get it right. We're imperfect. But in our minds, we say, God, I'm taking what you're teaching me, and God, I want to walk it out. And if something happens where we need to be corrected, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be molded and shaped by God? The second question was, will we press on even whenever it becomes inconvenient? When we reach a point and go, man, man that's just really kind of stretching me a little bit. I think, um, I think I got all I need. Because again, there is more. So as we look to those questions, why, those were two things that we were given as food for thought as to why more believers don't find themselves in higher levels of spiritual maturity. But there's also something else for us to consider. That's an internal issue, the question why, okay? It's a question why. What's going on in my head? What are some things, what are some mindsets, some things that are keeping me back? But many times there are external things to consider as well, some what's that we can allow to hinder us from letting things really set in. So another question we need to ask ourselves is maybe what are we letting stand in our way? Let me walk that out by reading some more of God's word. In John chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem, and in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove them out of the he drove out the sheep, he drove out the cattle, he scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor. He turned over their tables, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, "Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace." Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, "Passion for God's house will consume me." All right, Pastor Tommy, where are you going with that? All right, check this out. What did the disciples realize about Jesus in that moment? He was passionate about the house of God. Some of you may have heard this scripture explained before. It wasn't the fact that there were you know, animals being sold and things for sacrifice. Many times that was understandable because a lot of the Jewish people would come from towns all around and they would have to bring a sacrifice at the temple. And a lot of times they couldn't always travel with those animals. So it was convenient to have places there to be able to get those. But what had happened was over time, it had become this thing where it was all about manipulation and it was all about gaining money. They wouldn't sell the best animals and there was money changing hands and that was like temple rules that Jesus hadn't established. And so what had happened was the original intent and purity of coming to worship at the temple had become polluted by these money changers and marketplace guys right at God's front door and Jesus said enough. 
And when his disciples saw what he was doing, they remembered something. What did they remember? Passion. Another translation says, zeal for God's house will consume me. And that comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 69. It says this, passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. What was Jesus doing there? He was literally walking out scripture from the instruction manual. If it's good enough for Jesus, it needs to be good enough for us. And the great thing is that the disciples saw it and they recognized it. Oh man, he's he's man. You remember you remember you remember from the scriptures. You remember from the from the ancient writings. Zeal for my father's house will consume me. Jesus was literally going. You guys have made a mockery of what my father has set up. You're insulting my God, and now you're insulting me. I am passionate about what is going on in my father's house, and it has consumed me. It has consumed me. So what I want to remind us is when I say, what are some things that stand in our way, what consumes us? There was nothing standing in the way at that moment of Jesus fulfilling what he was doing for his father, but he also was walking out the instruction manual. What consumes us, guys? Is it things of God or do we allow other things to place demands on our passion? Look, having things in life is not wrong. Look, we all have to work. We all have to live. We have to eat. We can even have hobbies. Look, we have kids, dentist appointments, you know, all those kind of things. But it's when all of those things begin to get in the way and begin to consume our passion for our Lord and Savior that we might have to take a look at the what's and the why's and maybe we need to start, you know, kicking over some temple tables. Let me tell you something. We gain nothing. We gain nothing by preferring earthly things or earthly ways, like our own way, our own understanding, over what God has established. Yet many times without realizing it, we do, and then we wonder why we don't know the Father better. Now, look, for a not, not for one second am I excusing myself from this question. This message, the ones in the weeks prior, they are all correcting me as well. But what will I do with the correction and the instruction? What am I going to do with it? Am I going to acknowledge it as a good thing, pat myself on the back for admitting to you all that I'm still a work in progress and let it stop there? Or will I allow the prodding of the Lord to further mature me into someone more like him? The answer should be simple. We have to remove the what's and the why's and we have to press in. I mean, the benefits are just too great to ignore. I mean, think about it. Have any of us ever had a time where you were struggling with either a desire that you were, you were needing greater understanding or there was something happening in your life and you called out to God and God delivered. And not just delivered you, but he delivered the wisdom so that when you faced that again, you'd know what to do. If any of you have ever had that moment, then you know how amazing it was. God, you got me out of it. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me what to do. And then the next time it came, you knew what to do and you did it and it was awesome. Or maybe you found yourself the second time it comes around going, man, I know what I got to do, but I know what I need to do to find victory in this, but if you found yourself there or there, both of those are the result of how much we have taken in, studied, acted on, and let God's knowledge and his word take root in our lives. You know, at the beginning of this message, I made mention that my wife is in the Wyoming backcountry, and that God showed me some things that I needed to grow in while I was in the same place last year. So 
to further illustrate what I'm talking about this morning, I want to just take a moment and call this little section of the sermon A Tale of Two Hikers. And I'm going to give a couple of names, and uh, many of you are probably going to know both of these names. Um, both of these were um, stories that captured national attention. The first is a woman by the name of Geraldine Largay, and the second is a man by the name of Don Fendler. Now, Geraldine Largay, in July 2013, was a 66-year-old retired Air Force nurse from uh, the Nashville, Tennessee area who was hiking the Appalachian Trail. And right here in western Maine, after over 1,000 miles of hiking the trail, she stepped off to use the restroom and she became disoriented. She'd already traveled, like I said, well over 1,000 miles of the Appalachian Trail with a friend, but a family emergency called her friend away. So she decided, Jerry as she was called, decided to press on alone as her husband was continuing to offer support. He would drive the roads. He would call her on the cell phone. He would meet her at different stops to give her rations and supplies. And so she felt that she could continue to go on alone. But what happened was whenever she became disoriented and she could not find her way back, she tried to text her husband, but the area where she stepped off of the trail was so densely wooded that cell reception was non-existent. And in an effort to gain signal, she continued to go deeper into the woods, climbed a ridge to, you know, potentially to higher ground to try and get a signal, but she never regained that signal. And so she made a camp on that ridge under a dense patch of hemlock and she never left that site again. In 2015, her remains were found in the small camp that she had set up along with her belongings. Now, the second person I want to talk about is a man by the name of Don Fendler. In that exact same month, July, but a few years before that, in 1939, many of you know this story. The story of what I'm about to recount has actually been required reading for children for years. In 1939, Don was 12 years old, and he was with his families from New York. He was separated from his family during a storm as they tried to summit Mount Katahdin. His disappearance launched a manhunt which became front-page news throughout the nation and involved hundreds of volunteers who were looking for him throughout the Baxter State Park. Now, Fendler survived for nine days without food, without proper clothing, and he followed a stream and a telephone line out of the woods, and he was found near Stacyville, Maine. He stumbled into a hunting camp 35 miles from the place he had gone missing. Fendler was dehydrated. He was covered in infected insect bites. He was 16 pounds lighter than at the beginning of his journey, but otherwise he was unharmed. He credited his experience as a Boy Scout in helping him survive by remembering that he should follow the stream downhill by eating what he could find and attempting to shield himself as best as possible during the frigid nights. Now, a tale of two hikers. Both hikers were extensively searched for. Large manhunts were launched to try and find both of these people. And the interesting thing is, neither one of these folks were ever found by their search parties. What we can take away from these two in light of what we're talking about today is the actions that each one of them took in response to their situation. Now look, I'm not speaking ill of Geraldine Largay in any way, shape, or form. That's not my intent here this morning. But from all the information that was found around her, it pointed to the simple fact that she was intending for her cell phone to be her salvation. All of the details, all of the evidence that they, whenever she was found and pointed to that, she was looking for her cell phone to be her primary source of rescue. She'd sent several texts to her husband trying to get help. She even hiked higher in order to get better cell reception. The sad fact is that in the end, where she was found, she was a mere two miles from the trail. 
And there was a stream that was actually nearby where she had made her camp. And there was an open field not far from it where if she would have set up there, aerial rescue would have been able to spot her a lot easier. The spot that she chose to camp and never move from basically ensured she'd almost never be found. And she wasn't. She was considered by some to be an experienced hiker, yet once she was finally found and they interviewed family and friends, they, they also spoke of how often she could get disoriented. And when that would happen, she would become frustrated when that happened. And she was also said to not have a great sense of direction. Now, here's the interesting thing, guys. Despite having a shelter, despite having food, despite having water and modern technology, for several days, she decided to set up a camp and not move. Once those supplies were exhausted, she made the decision to accept her situation, and she wrote a final goodbye to her family in the journal that she was keeping. The decisions she made were not keeping with proper survival techniques, and when she found herself in a dire situation, they cost her dearly. Don Finler, on the other hand, survived his ordeal with no food, no shelter, no supplies, in an era where no one would even know what a cell phone was for 60 years. Now, this doesn't make him a better person. Again, that's not what I'm trying to say this morning. It's not he's better, she's, you know, she was ignorant, this, that, and the other. This is not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm not trying to paint one as a saint and one as a sinner. I want us to look at the situations and the decisions that were made by each one of these. Okay? Again, like I said, it doesn't make one better than the other. It simply shows us something about implementing what we've learned. The moment Don realized he was lost, the Boy Scout training kicked in, and he began to implement those skills to make the harrowing journey down the mountain. He walked around until he found a stream, and he followed it to rescue. You know, I dare say even today in the 21st century, we still are not going to say that we need to utilize our cell phones as a primary tool for rescue if you become lost in the dense wilderness. With no supplies, he survived using what he had learned that the land could show him. And he was determined to not accept his situation. What he had learned, he implemented, and it saved him. Now, many times for us, what we can learn from that today is, as trained as she was, because she had gone on thousands of miles of hiking trails, okay, there's a difference between being trained in one situation and not being trained for another situation, there's all sorts of eventualities that you have whenever you go in this situation. That's why God's knowledge and wisdom to us is so diverse, because there's not one problem that we walk through in this life, amen? Now, there was training and there was preparation, but whenever it came time to find yourself in a rescue situation, proper techniques were not employed, proper knowledge that maybe there had been given, but it was not employed, and it cost her dearly. With no supplies, no, nothing at all, this young boy was literally able to survive almost two weeks because he was determined not to accept the situation. And the funny thing is I watched an interview of him. He passed away in 2016. But I watched an interview of him speaking to Boy Scouts, and he said, I wasn't even that good of a scout. He said, I didn't even really like it that much. But the knowledge that he had been given instantly kicked in, and he knew what to do. And look, that doesn't mean he didn't come out unscathed. He had infected, you know, he was covered in thousands of bug bites. He had developed rheumatism in his joints from just what he went through over those nine days. But he was determined to not let his situation be the end of him. What he had learned kicked in, and it saved him. Many times when we don't have a proper plan in place, we can put our faith in things that can let us down. 
When we start looking to everything else, oh, I've got this, let me try this, oh, I've got this, let me try this, oh, I've got this, when we don't have that plan and that knowledge in place that kicks in automatically, we can try and look to other things. We can try and look to other sources that can ultimately let us down. A cool head and learned instruction saved a life. Trust in an external device cost one. Along the path to maturity in God, we must learn that even if we find ourselves in a place where everything is gone and we find ourselves with nothing, what he has placed inside of us is more than enough to see us through if we will grow in it. Amen. When we stop talking about maturing, and we actually do, we gain not only a richer, deeper walk with God, but also the wisdom to live each day and to serve in his kingdom with more power and more effectiveness. I'll close with one final story. Years ago, a church that I served at, um, we had a guest speaker one morning, and it was one of the former pastor's wives. Um, God had moved them on years before that to other ministry, and so we kept in contact with them. And uh, we learned that she had contracted this very rare illness, like, like very rare and, and completely unexplainable. Within weeks, she was completely racked in bed, unable to speak, unable to move. To this day, they still have never identified what it was, and they've never diagnosed her with anything. Her sons actually told me, yeah, they sent her home dying from nothing. But God miraculously healed her, and she came that morning, and she recounted the testimony of what God had done. And she told us that while she was in that spot of just sheer weakness where she couldn't even open her eyes or open her mouth anymore, she had an experience where God took her and she saw herself down a corridor and she began to realize that she was approaching death, but she knew in her heart that God was not done with her. And there was something that was beginning to be declared and then God restored her and she came back better than she was before. She developed these sores. It was, that was one of the side effects of what she was going through. And when it came off, it was like there was fresh new skin. God literally brought her back from death's door and restored her completely. And I reached out to her yesterday because what she said impacted me so long, but this was over 15 years ago, so I didn't want to get the details wrong. So I messaged her, and I asked her if she could give me some of those details, and so I could um, recount those to you this morning uh, properly because it speaks to where we're at. And these are her words. Because we have no idea of even just the next breath we're supposed to take, that's why I've always stressed it to be so filled up with the Word of God so that when the day comes when you need to speak the word into whatever challenge you're faced with, the Holy Spirit will be able to reach within and draw the correct word out and release it into the atmosphere. It's a pretty long story to relate on paper, but when I had the out-of-body experience, I was so very sick and weak that by then it was days since I could speak. I had no strength to even open my eyes. I barely breathed. It was during this experience that the Holy Spirit could find the appropriate verse pertaining to this situation and speak it into the atmosphere that at that very moment was invaded by the spirit of death. And that scripture verse was, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord, from Psalm 118. And she said, when I came to myself, it sounded like somebody was announcing it over a megaphone. But when Pastor walked in on me, and she's speaking of her husband, when Pastor walked in on me about a minute or two later, I could only whisper the first half to him, and I was out again. But literally, she heard it in her head as if it was like a megaphone. Literally, the Spirit was just declaring it over her. So saying all of this, we have to be diligent to daily feed our spirit as much as we so greatly do our physical bodies. We must pray daily in the Spirit and with the understanding so that we have an abundance of spiritual supply that we have stocked up 
for the time of spiritual famine. I was unable to call to mind all the scriptures I had memorized during my lifetime or even pray one prayer for a solid month. However, the Holy Spirit, whose temple my body is, his place of residence, found plenty to work with. The first time I could pick up my Bible to sit up and read God's word, the Lord spoke this to me out of his word. See it here on the screen. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. How can I? For it is by them you have quickened me, granted me life. And then she closed by saying, my life scripture by which I daily live is recorded in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Church, having God reveal things to us is amazing. It's not even something he does begrudgingly. He desires for us to grow with him and in him because he loves us. And as a loving father does, he wants us to have the wisdom and tools to succeed in this life. So let's realize that and press into greater spiritual maturity so when we look back at another year on, we can see all the growth his life in us has blessed us with. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close this time in prayer. God, we thank you again. Lord, I say it weekly, and God, I pray that it never becomes just a word or a line that I say just so that I have something to pray in prayer. But God, truly, from the heart of me, from the depth of me, and from the depth of us this morning, God, we say thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that it is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. And as the rest of that verse goes, that we would hide your words in our heart that we might not sin against you. So, God, I pray this morning that each and every one of us, God, would say, Lord, I want, Lord, to repeat what you have given. I want to go over it, Lord, over again to retain it, not just so that I can learn it like some mindless knowledge from a school book, but because it is literally life to me. It is a lamp to me. It is a guide to me. And when I trust in your words, God, I will know how to walk. I will know how to act. And I will be able to call it, Lord, at a moment's notice and not have to run around and search and look to everywhere else because I have your knowledge and your truth hidden within my heart. And I can do it for myself and I can help others do it, Lord. Let that be our prayer today, God. We're so grateful, God, that you love us and you guide us and that you have given it to us as a loving Father does. So, Lord, I dare say this morning, God, if there be any of us, Lord, and I'll be the first to raise my hand, if there be any of us, God, that say, I don't know if I can recall 75% or 50% or 25% of the knowledge and the truth that you have given to us this past year that has been great insight on how to deal with a number of matters. Lord, I repent, God, and I ask, God, that you would help me to continue to call it to mind to go back and to study and to dig into it and to listen and, Lord, have it in my heart, God, because I want to know how to do justly, how to love mercy and how to walk humbly and walk rightly with my God. And that's in your word as well. God, I love you and I thank you, Jesus, for this family of believers. God, I pray that you be with us, Lord, and that you continue, Lord. Wake us up in the watches of the night. Be with us in the day, Lord. Speak to us through your word. And, Lord, that we would listen and that we would take it in And God, that we would live with it. Be with us this day. Go with each person, God, and continue to pour your blessings out on them, Father. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.